We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we look at pop culture from a Jewish perspective and look at Judaism through the lens of pop culture. As always, we are your hosts. I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. And I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And today we are talking about the new movie, You People, starring Jonah Hill and Eddie Murphy, available to stream on Netflix right now. And we are joined for this uh, conversation about You People uh, by a uh, uh, an incredible writer, columnist, thinker, thought leader, uh, Michael Paul Williams, uh, who has been a columnist with the Richmond Times-Dispatch for over 30 years, a native of Richmond and a graduate of Virginia Union University and Northwestern University, uh, and also a recent Pulitzer Prize winner. Michael Paul, good to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for Um, being here. Jesse, you wanna share with us a little bit about You People? Sure, as Mike said, You People is a new Netflix comedy uh, co-written by Jonah Hill and Kenya Barris, uh, Kenya Barris of Blackish fame. Uh, Kenya also directed the film. And the film stars Jonah Hill as Ezra Cohen, a 35 year old Jewish uh, Southern California broker who really has a dream of being a podcaster and having that be in his career. Uh, Mike and I know how that is. Uh, we're living the dream. Living we're living the dream. The dream. And um, he, he wants, he, he talks about being a podcaster about the culture, um, very subtly referring. To, to African-American culture, talking about uh, rap and, and hip-hop and, and fashion, uh, music. And he, by chance, ends up meeting uh, a woman, getting in her car, thinking she is uh, his Uber driver, uh, uh, a woman, Amira Mohammed, played by Lauren London. And uh, they end up hitting it off, falling in love. And it really has a vibe of both Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and meet the parents. Um, it is a white Jewish family and a black uh, Muslim family, a family that is from the nation of Islam. Uh, the parents are, are really p- played wonderfully uh, by Julia Louis-Dreyfus and David Duchovny playing Jonah Hill's parents, Ezra's parents, and Eddie Murphy and Neil Long playing Lauren London's parents, playing Amira's parents. And as you would suspect uh, and, and expect, the movie goes through uh, the stereotypes of what it means to be a Jew and a Jewish family in America, what it means to be a Black family, I would say also a Black Muslim family in America, uh, and how um, both families are minorities, but both families, uh, both uh, uh, cultures and, and communities are minorities, but also uh, look at the other as the title says, you people. I would say if you know uh, Jonah Hill's comedy, it is quite cringe. And there are certainly some qu- cringe-worthy moments, uh, although less uh, referring to genitalia than than the super bad days of Jonah Hill. Um, he, he's, he's grown up he's a matured. little. He's matured. Uh, he's an Oscar nominee now. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, but it really focuses on... Um, 
uh, on, on stereotypes, I would say almost caricatures of the Jewish community and of the Black community. I'm interested, uh, Michael Paul uh, and Mike, what you both thought of the film. Yeah, let's start with Michael Paul. What did you think of the movie? Um, <clears throat> there were some laugh out loud moments um, for me. Um, I watched with my wife from both of us in spite of ourselves. Um, very, very broad, uh, stereotype driven comedy. Um, not a whole lot of nuance in the room. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed what I was seeing, but did not believe, <laughs> did not find it convincing, uh, from the believability standpoint, but you know, it's comedy. It's supposed to broad send up, um, I don't know if um, how much it's going to drive any sort of discussion of relationship between um, Black people and Jewish people, um, because I think a lot of people will probably view it as over the top, but it, it, I, I saw it as entertaining. Uh, you know, I thought I, I, I was entertained by it, too, at least parts of it. Uh, you know, I... Uh, um... I always felt with uh, with with Meet the Parents uh, with uh, Ben Stiller and, and Robert De Niro um, that it you know had moments where it was funny, but mostly I just you know felt bad for Ben Stiller's character the whole way through, uh, and that's kind of how I felt uh, in in this movie too. I mean, uh, not only uh, Jonah Hill's character, uh, but uh, but but also uh, Amira, uh, his fiance. I mean, I think that like you know they. Uh, had a beautiful relationship that was, you know, trying to thrive and was um, getting, you know, suffocated under the weight of their parents' expectations. Um, so I just like, I, I felt kind of, you know, just, it wasn't so funny to me. I just felt bad, you know, for them the the whole time. Um, but it certainly had its well, moments. That's the rabbi in you, right? That's the pastoral care that you're um, uh, understanding that oftentimes right. when you meet with a couple, it's the family dynamics of those two families that stress that couple out, not anything that the couple is dealing with. It's their extended family. Right. Yeah. I think that that's what people often say about me is that I'm just too compassionate for my own good sometimes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, they don't subscribe to the podcast. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, so it certainly had moments that I that I you know thought were funny. I thought overall it was, uh, you know, not super effective as a comedy and certainly not uh, especially effective as a commentary on uh, race relations or relations between the black and Jewish communities. But I do think that it comes at a time where, you know, this conversation is very present. So the movie itself may not add anything to the conversation, but it opens up, a, a, you know, an opportunity to, to talk about something that I think is, is very live uh, and real. I, I saw this come up, um, it, you know, this has obviously been a topic of, of conversation for a long time. Uh, you know, uh, Rabbi Michael Lerner uh, and Cornell West uh, wrote a book together called uh, Blacks and Jews. Um, this has been, you know, a, 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 an issue uh, going back, you know, really uh, throughout the history of this country um, in the relationship between uh, the Black community and the Jewish community, uh, with the Jewish community being, um, you know, sometimes a marginalized, vulnerable uh, minority, but also uh, a, a community that uh, benefits a lot from uh, from from uh, white privilege and from presenting as white, and um, was present in the civil rights movement in the '60s. And I think it came alive again um, for me, uh, at least, uh, during the summer of 2020, uh, with the with the uh, uprisings for racial justice following George Floyd's murder, um, and seeing. Um, 
how the Jewish community was reacting in very different ways to that, how they were, you know, choosing to involve themselves or not involve themselves as allies in that movement, um, and has uh, and has really uh, also uh, been uh, present uh, recently, you know, especially with uh, Kanye West's uh, comments uh, about uh, uh, Jews and and the Holocaust, Kyrie Irving's uh, posts on on Twitter. Uh, Michael Paul, I know you've written about this. Uh, because uh, uh, I'm very, very thankful you you uh, uh, in, included me in in a piece that you wrote about it for the Richmond Times Dispatch. So I'm I'm wondering, you know, what the movie brought up for you as someone who thinks a lot about, um, or at least recently has been thinking a lot about the dynamic between um, uh, you know anti-black racism and anti-Semitism. Wow. Well, that's a lot. Um, you know, we're the movie presents um, uh, the, the relationship in the framework of comedy. And a lot of what you just um, spoke of, the recent history is not terribly funny at all. So, I mean, we can learn things through comedy, but um, uh, um, anti-Semitism is real and anti-Black racism is real. And it's very present in our lives today and it's very serious business. Um, back to the movie, um, there's a level of, um, derivativeness that I wish wasn't there because you would like to see the form, you know, the interracial romance movie, um, kind of presented in a, in a different kind of light and just seeing Eddie Murphy um, kind of replay the character and guess the black the, the disapproving black father in 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 guess who comes to dinner, which is kind of the the um, if not the first, it's certainly the most prominent of the interracial couple couple movies made back in the late nineteen sixties. You know, it just I felt like okay, people are stepping into their usual roles here in these movies. And I guess something else that I questioned was it just seems like that frame in a much different time in many ways. Um, in 1966 or 67, when Guess Who Comes to Dinner came out, uh, if I'm not mistaken, interracial marriage was still illegal <laughs> in Virginia. And here in 2023, it's, it, it just seems so utterly commonplace that um, you wonder if the dynamics have shifted more than maybe the movie presents. You know that that's that stuck out to me uh, that uh, that you know the movie presents as as so you know kind of strange and exotic um, a you know a, 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 a white Jewish person uh, falling in love with and marrying a black person, uh, but. In my experience, that's not all that uncommon nope. at all, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, we we live in a in a world of of uh, you know uh, mixing uh, and you know in, in intermarriage al along all sorts of lines of difference. Yeah, you know, I, which I is wonder... causing in reaction a different set of problems. But yeah, it seems just it's so much more common and accepted nowadays that. I wonder if what the movie is also highlighting is the generational. Right, uh, Lauren London and Jonah Hill's characters, uh, Amira and Ezra, didn't seem to have a problem with it, although they dealt with their own family baggage. Yeah. Um, 
but but it, it was their parents who even tried to be a, a, a accepted, right? Julia Louis Dreyfus' character said, "I'm just happy that you're happy." She's not Jewish, but I'm happy that you're happy, right? So uh, even in her attempt to be welcoming to somebody from another culture, another faith, uh, there is this sort of feeling within her uh, that that's like, oh, you know, I I wish you had married somebody who who was Jewish. Um, I'm going to try my hardest uh, to accept her. And in turn, sometimes I, I am over the top and offensive in, in what I am doing and what I am saying. Um, and Eddie Murphy's character, you know, Neil Long's character was actually quite um, <clears throat> quiet in, in, in any opposition. It, it, it was Eddie Murphy's character who was like, you know what, I'm going to mess with you. I'm going to try to get you to say the N-word. I'm going to, you know, get you to wear uh, red in a, 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 a barbershop. I'm going to, oh, you think you you, you ball? I'm going to get you to, to, to shoot hoops. And I'm going to expect that you're going to get, get destroyed. And of, and of course, he shows out right, <laughs> on the course. basketball court. <laughs> well, 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 that, well, that's the more svelte Jonah Hill. Uh, yeah. Not, not, not the Jonah Hill uh, for, from Superbad. Uh, <laughs> he, he can ball a little bit more than he used to. But to, to your point, um, to two points. One, and, and you tell me this because I don't know. Is it still a thing when, a big thing when, a Jewish person marries someone who isn't Jewish. You know, I think it depends on the. I think for the people who are who are in those relationships, it's generally not a big thing. In my experience, um, you you fall in love with who you meet and who you interact with. Um, you know, American Jews today, uh, in part by design. I mean, like you know, the the the, the Jewish communal. In addition to. Uh, creating uh, uh, the state of Israel, right? The, the like large scale Jewish communal project of the diaspora um, was to uh, was was to uh, assimilate essentially, right? Um, not to fully assimilate and to lose our Jewishness. That's the tension, uh, but to become part of um, to become part of like the regular world. Uh, and so we we you know been wildly successful in in doing that. And the you know consequence of that is that you know Jews They'll interact work with, with, work with, go to school with, uh, socialize with people who are not mm -hmm. Jewish all the time. We we you know uh, live in a a, a multicultural, multiracial uh, society, um, and uh, that that Jews are a a part of. So it shouldn't be surprising. It's it's not a big deal to people who are in those relationships. I think for that reason, because of the kind of world we live in. But for uh, folks, you know, in positions of Jewish communal leadership, like me and Jesse, for their parents' generations, their grandparents' generations, they they of course want their kids to be happy. But there is a piece of them that you know, uh, for for whom it becomes a big deal. Uh, it may not have they may not have imagined it would be a big deal to them beforehand, but it becomes a big deal. Um, I don't know if you have a different I, thought about it, Justin. Yeah, I, I would also say uh, not to pat Mike and I on the back too much, but I think that we have really tried to create welcoming and inclusive uh, synagogues, welcoming and inclusive Jewish communities. Um, I unfortunately can't say that the same is true for all of our colleagues. Uh, the truth is um, uh, Jewish institutions have serious repenting to do for decades of um, exiling, uh, essentially, somebody if they if they were to marry outside of the faith, that that leadership within Jewish institutions or Jewish denominations um, would say that this is the end of Judaism if you marry somebody of another faith. Um, 
And we know that's not not the case, right? You know, some of our, our most dedicated members of our community are from interfaith families, right? They, they are here every Shabbat, observe dietary laws of kashrut, right? Uh, ensure that their kids have a Jewish uh, education. And one of the, the parents are of another faith um, and they're dedicated to raising their, their child in the Jewish community and the Jewish faith. So we know that's not to be true. Um, however, I do think it is certainly generational um, that what we believe to be true is different than what our parents' generation believed to be true. I also think we see in uh, societal statistics, not just in the Jewish community, but in all communities, people get married later in life now than they used to. Uh, we used to tell or, or be told right, that if you uh, sent your kids to a Jewish overnight camp, and if they went to a college that had a large Jewish population with a big Hillel, uh, then they're going to end up marrying somebody who's Jewish. But that's making the assumption that they're meeting the person that they're going to marry at 17 or 18 or 19 years old. Jonah Hill is 35, which is, you know, the average age that somebody's getting married in, in, in this country nowadays is in your 30s, not in your early 20s. Uh, and, and so you're, how are you meeting somebody? You're, in this case, in, in a silly comedy, you're meeting somebody by randomly walking into their car thinking they're an Uber driver, but you're meeting somebody at work. You're meeting somebody using an app. You're meeting somebody, right, through friends, colleagues, coworkers. It's a different reality. Something else. Um... I was panning the movie for its lack of nuance, but there was one interesting and nuanced moment that my wife and I detected um, that deals in colorism, I guess. Um, um, their children, Nia Long and Eddie Murphy's children were probably around my complexion. Um, no, no, I mean, they were light. I'm sorry, they, they were, Nia and Eddie are closer to my complexion. Their children were light and we're like, how did Nia Long and Eddie Murphy produce Lauren London, who in real life I think is biracial? Mm -hmm. um, and then I, and Eddie and Nia are arguing at some point, and he talks about her white grandmother. He goes back, you know, right. generationally, I guess, as a way of explaining how they produce such light children. But I thought, okay, well, this is, you know, because he could easily cast a light or lighter skinned mother, but. Instead, they chose to go there to that, you know, kind of hinted at generational trauma. Um, so that that was interesting to me, the way they chose to approach that. Right. And, you know, I, I, uh, Kenya Barris has explored uh, colorism, too. There's an episode of Blackish where uh, uh, where uh, uh, you know, one of the. Uh, one of the kids who has a you know, like a darker complexion than some of the other kids uh, has a problem with their with their school picture, and so it was a it was a, I think a really effective episode that as far as you know as, as far as my opinion on it matters, um, uh, and, and you know that that was a great moment there that you know didn't get unpacked very much. Uh, yeah, I wish they unpacked the movie. Um, but I, but I think what we're you know what we're talking about, and I think what the movie does show even though it's in sort of a caricatured way uh, are, are a couple of things you know that that are dynamics here um you know the first is uh, i i do this is this again is a caricature but it but it struck me that that jonah hills um and he even said this in the course of the movie that his relationship with judaism was very 
minimal. And his parents' relationship with Judaism was 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 pretty minimal too. It seemed like uh, that. Go uh, ahead, yeah, Jesse. I, I was going to call that, everyone's that out. <laughs> everyone's right. relationship with religion seemed pretty. I mean, you know, right? Bacon eating Muslim and well, except right. Well, except for except for uh, um, Eddie Murphy and Neil Long's yeah. characters, who uh, were were obviously very uh, or seemed to be at I mean, least. I would very say more Eddie to... Murphy than Neil Long. Yeah. Truthfully, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, so, right, so Jonah Hill, um, you know, uh, uh, has, a, has a very sort of tenuous relationship with his Judaism, maybe even a conflicted relationship with his, with his own Judaism. I'm pretty um, sure after reflects, Yom Kippur's Which service, reflects the national trending, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, every, I mean every religions, the primacy of religion in American life in general, I think, is on the downswing. Right. Um, and, that, is, you know, that is our task. That is why we are podcasting. Right, that's right. That's why that's why we're doing it. Uh one podcast listener at a time. Uh but I think that you know to me what a one so you know first the 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 one of the challenges of uh of of the you know the dynamic between uh, uh blacks and Jews is that you know uh Jewish at least as it uh, manifests in America uh, is is a religious identity, uh, but blackness is obviously uh, not a uh, not at least there there may be you know religious dimensions of, of blackness, but it's uh, or or different you know uh, pro, you know predominant religions among the African American community. Uh, but it's uh, but you could have you know there are many uh, uh, religious identities within uh, the black community, um, whereas Jews. Uh, there may be many racial identities among the Jewish people. That's something that the movie doesn't explore right. at all. The movie the ignores Jews of like color. Like 10%, sorry? The movie ignores that there are Jews of color. Right, right. And some, something like 10 or more percent of, of uh, American Jews are, are Jews of color. In Israel, it's even uh, uh, even a much more substantial percentage of the Jewish population in Israel is uh, is not of uh, European descent. Uh, so uh, so that's 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 an important demand. So the Jewish community is multiracial. The black community is is multi-religious. It, it seems to me that uh, Amira was more in touch with her blackness than Jonah Hill was in touch with his Jewishness, uh, um, and, where and, and simultaneously Jonah Hill was, uh, you know, more invested in what he saw as black culture yeah, uh, than uh, than, than uh, Amira's character was was uh, was invested in the religion of her parents. And <clears throat> what did you think of that? Um, the the idea that Jonah presented very much as a hip hop culture. Um, influenced black culture influenced person um would it have been a more interesting movie if he were less so would the contrast between um the, the couple have been greater and, 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 and perhaps mind more sophistication if he weren't that person yeah i i wonder what it says about cultural appropriation right i, I wonder what it says about um some anti-Semitic tropes that have been thrown out by, by uh, musicians and celebrities that it's sort of uh, the, the Jewish music producers, right? It's the Jewish uh, sports team owners that, that are the ones who are sort of pulling the strings behind the curtain. Uh, and uh, is, is he uh, or, or his character an example of, of that, right? The, this white, wealthy broker, uh, from the, the movie talks about generational wealth. His father, his grandfather, his great grandfather were, were podiatrists. Um, 
And uh, that, that's amazing, by the way. I, I don't know how it happened that so many Jews became podiatrists, but I see that all the time. And uh, he, you know, his desire to, uh, to to really be in tune with, as he keeps calling it, the culture. Um, what is that about? Yeah, you know, I I uh, I thought that that was uh, uh, interesting. I'd love to hear Michael Paul's thoughts about it too. I, you know, first of all, it strikes me that um, that you know, black culture uh, is more than hip hop culture, uh, which uh, you know, which at least Jonah Hill's character uh, seemed to uh, identify it with. Maybe that's why he wanted to call it the culture instead of black culture. Uh, but you know, that was. And and I think that that's true. I mean, I see that in in uh, can that was that was present in Blackish too, or at least like the way in Blackish, uh, some of the white marketing executives, uh, uh, you know, would talk about you know like urban culture and things like that. That it was sure. primarily rooted in in hip hop and and like you know uh, basketball culture and streetball and whatever. And those are I imagine uh, very you know significant parts of African American culture, but. Um, in you know, in a way, the movie was trying to say, like, here's a problem with generalizing and stereotyping people, um, uh, but yet it's sort of rooted in this sense that, like, that that uh, you know, uh, that there's a a complete overlap in a Venn diagram uh, between you know hip hop culture and the African American community, um, and it may not be you know uh, such a total overlap. There may be places where those cultures are are somewhat separate. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, um, it does, I think, raise a question of, um, you know, the, the, the appropriateness um, of a, a, a white person or a person who presents as white, um, uh, you know, becoming, you know, so enamored with, invested in, you know, quote unquote, the culture or hip hop culture, African-American culture, uh, that they, um, that, that they make it a, a, a substantial part of their own, image and lifestyle and um and and uh, vocation um you know to what extent is that cultural appropriation uh and uh, and and inappropriate um well and, mm -hmm. to to your point just we're having a big debate in this country right now about history and how history is, is presented and how there are attempts by elected officials to erase black history from American history. Well, American, black history is American history. And, and I would posit that hip hop culture is American culture. Um, you know, we talked about Kanye West and, and, and his turn toward not just anti-Semitism, but anti-Blackness. Anti and, you know, my wife and I were talking about this. His fan base is largely white. And, um, you know, I know white dudes who know far more about hip hop culture than I do. I mean, this is American culture. So I guess if we're doing that diagram, <laughs> you know, it, you know, it, 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 it kind of shows in, in some ways the folly of the way we try to, to, um, put everything in a silo, uh, because, um, these cultures are so pervasive that, of course, they're going to be Jonah Hills, you know, mm -hmm. 
and, and folks walking around spitting rhymes and and and, and, and talking a language and, and it's it's just the culture is so large and so dominant in ways that I'm not sure the media even acknowledges that it's an inevitability. Sure. So, I, I wonder, you know, there are certainly parts of Jewish culture. Uh, well, well, I'm talking really more about uh, Eastern European uh, Ashkenazic descent Jewish culture, but Jewish culture that has become a part of societal norms, right? The the Jewish deli, right? It, you know, it, we it, don't even think about it. We right? don't even think about the bagel. it. And, and it's so pervasive. Right. Um, and, and so is it um, okay that like bagel is a, a breakfast fast food now and that everybody loves? Uh, nobody thinks about that, but if uh, a white person goes to, you know, a a, a soul food restaurant or, or something like that, is that taken differently? Um, uh, or- not at Mama J's. Don't <laughs> <laughs> go that's, to Mama that's... J's. I mean, you know, it's always going to be a, a mix. I'll put it that way. That's that's a Richmond institution, Jesse. The next time you're uh, through town, we'll we'll have to check it out. Yeah, I look forward. Yeah, you you will not feel alone. <laughs> Um, you know, but it, but I, would you feel differently, Jesse, about or do you feel differently about, say, you know, th- there are lots of uh, churches that I see nowadays that, you know, have Shabbat dinners. Um, there's, you know, the the the, the Messianic Judaism movement uh, appears, at least in Richmond, to be growing. Um, I don't have you know hard data on yeah. that. Uh, but, you know, but, but essentially, you know, uh, uh, Christian communities uh, that are. Uh, drawing upon uh, Jewish uh, rituals and, and Jewish practices um, in a way of, you know, connecting to their own Christianity, it, you know, is or evangelizing, feel, there's, there's, right? there's a large part of me that feels differently about that than, Absolutely. you know, Those are two than, than somebody different. eating a bagel. Or then a white person listening to hip hop, right? Right. That That's uh, uh, Michael Paul. I, I agree with you that, um, uh, if black culture is American culture, black history is American history, hip hop is American music, uh, then I, I think you're right. Uh, I, I listen to a lot of hip hop um, and I've gone to, um, right, Power 105 Summer Jam, uh, uh, that, that, that or, or Hot 97 Summer Jam that at Meadowlands Arena when I was in high school. I, I and uh, it, it was a football stadium full of, you know, people of of many ethnicities and races and, and cultures. Um, if anything, right, it speaks to the success of the style of music uh, and uh, the music industry so much so that we've talked about Hamilton and how Lin Manuel Miranda has taken a a, a style of music and has turned it into a, a Broadway musical success in a way that was never, you know, thought possible when we were talking, you know, about hip hop as, um, you know, mixing uh, records from the 70s or, or something like that and laying down tracks and mixtapes and that sort of thing. It's it's gone to a very different level. Um, I want us to, to go back on, on the idea of the, the d- dynamic between the two families in this movie for a second, if we can. Probably one of one of the most like cringiest. Uh, do they really have to go that far? Moments in, in, in the movie, and, and again, when we talk about, I I certainly feel this when we talk about 
uh, rising anti-Semitism. I, I know a lot of the, the Jewish press have sort of panned this movie. You can look at articles on Kveller. Um, also, right, as Michael Paul mentioned before we started recording, Rotten Tomatoes didn't give it very, very, very good uh, uh, reviews. Um, it, it, I think it's it's in uh, the, you know, Batman versus Superman, man, uh, you know, territory of being a pretty rotten movie. There was this argument that that they had about victims. Had to just throw shade at DC in there. I had to throw shade. You couldn't just DC let it go. News. I couldn't. <laughs> um, but but th there was this discussion when when Ezra and Amira's parents meet for the first time about victimhood. Uh, oh yeah. They said, they said something that like black people don't have a good relationship with boats. And, and Julia Louis Dreyfus like it's kind of like trains. the Jewish community with trains, uh, which I I like was like oh she did not just say that. Um, and then they talk about you're you're not suggesting that that the Holocaust uh, is is just as bad a, as slavery, and she's like, no, of course not. It was worse, and, and, <laughs> and they're and they're debating about who was more of a victim, and I Man. certainly see that when, when we talk about rising anti-Semitism, and they're, they're, we're talking about oh, well, we, do we stand with, with our, our Black brothers and sisters with uh, anti-Black racism if they're not going to stand with us as if it's this sort of quid pro quo of allyship? Uh, and it's, it's possible that one can be a victim at times and an oppressor towards another at times. One can be guilty uh, of bigotry at times and a victim of bigotry at times. Yeah, we, um, Mallory No Pain, um, who... Um came up with our pod, our podcast, speaking of podcasts, um, Memory Wars. Yeah, go ahead and plug that. Yeah, we, um, which um, Mallory went to Germany, spent a year on a Fulbright uh, fellowship and interviewed folks who, uh, on the topic of how Germany had responded to the Holocaust. And then we brought, she brought that back here and we would have discussions about how America has responded to its very tortured history of, of oppression. And um, we would just say it, it's probably come up more than once that we don't want to get into the the oppression Olympics, where people are 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 almost having this competition over whose oppression was greatest. Because that that I mean, when you're talking about um, atrocities on the level of both uh, the Holocaust and the enslavement and, and subjugation of Black people in America, it really I mean, what's the point? They're both un so unqualifyingly bad that there's no point in even going there. But um, yeah, but I, I think there is this kind of perverse dynamic where we often do go there, um, and and that gets me to kind of a larger point about a, a sort of residual discomfort um, at how we frame the relationships between um, Black people and Jewish people um, in America. Um, I think the enemy in America is systemic racism and white supremacy, which manifests itself in various forms including the tactic of pitting oppressed people against each other. Mm. And I, I, so that that's what scares me when we we kind of, you know, 
whenever we, this dynamic comes up, that's what scares me that we're missing the real point of this. Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I, this conversation came up when we had uh, my colleague, uh, Reverend Timothy Atkins Jones on a recent podcast and we to talk about Black Panther, Wakanda Forever and, and uh, colonialism. Uh, uh, go back, feel free. Uh, if you subscribe, you can listen to any and all of our episodes. Uh, but um, talking about and, that, and Black that, Panther Wakanda Forever just dropped on uh, Disney Plus, so it's a good streaming. time to revisit the conversation. But um, I, I think you're absolutely right, Michael Paul, that when a, a people that uh, white nationalists hate and another people that white nationalists hate uh, start hating each other, they win and everybody else loses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know, I've noticed it wasn't lost on me. Um, um, uh, Fuentes, what's his name? Who was with Kanye at Mar-a-Lago? Uh, Nick Fuentes. Nick Fuentes. I'm like, yeah. okay, what's up with the Latino white nationalists? Right. And yeah. it just, it just, it's it, it's a very effective playbook, and it works on racial levels. It works on faith levels. It works on economic levels, where people who would otherwise have common cause are pitted against each other. And um, I think it's something we need to watch. Absolutely. You know, the the the, um, the challenge, I think, of, of uh, at least Jews in America um, is that, you know, we are simultaneously uh, vulnerable uh, because of being a minority with, you know, a, a history of, <laughs> of, of, of oppression. Um, uh, and that you know remains targeted and seemingly you know increasingly so uh, uh, for uh, for for our difference. Um, we're so we're vulnerable and also uh, in in many ways privileged. You know, again, that sort of discounts the fact that yes, the Jewish community is multiracial in America. Yes, uh, the Jewish community is not uh, entirely you know upper middle class uh, and well off. Um, there is. Uh, plenty of Jewish poverty uh, in America. We have it right here in our own community in Richmond, right? So th there was an aspect of that conversation, you know, at the dinner table uh, where, you know, which started uh, this discussion about, uh, you know, where they start getting into the oppression Olympics. Um, uh, but, you know, the, the, there's, there's a point that, um, uh, that Eddie Murphy and Nia Long's characters make at the table, you know, when talking to, you know, they, they say, well, you know, Jews in this country worked really hard for the success that we've earned. There's a way, of course, in which that is true. Um, you know, most of the Jews who trace their ancestry back uh, to, uh, you know, uh, to the late 19th century wave and early 20th century wave of immigration from Eastern Europe know that Jews, uh, many Jews came from really nothing uh, in this country to to uh, to make it. So there is an extraordinary success story there um, of how hard Jews worked, but um, uh, Jews have, you know, benefited from, um, uh, from, from, you know, generational success and generational wealth. And many of those Jews uh, within, at least within a generation, um, were sort of absorbed into um, in, into whiteness or increasingly absorbed into whiteness, benefiting from the color of their skin and not having the, you know, uh, history of racialized oppression that African-Americans had. So they, you know, so they uh, may have, you know, in, in coming to this country started from nothing, but the path to success was, uh, uh, was, was, uh, much easier, uh, that's sort of, uh, flattening how difficult it probably was. Um, but anyway, so we're not exactly talking about apples and apples when we're talking about, 
um, you know, oppressed peoples having common cause. Even, yeah. and I would say, especially, uh, even if it was, you know, as refugees or, or fleeing persecution uh, in parts of the world, uh, it was immigrating to this country by choice. Uh, and, right, that's the big difference that, that they're talking about uh, in this conversation. Uh, well, if we date back far enough, well, you know, our great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, uh, no, he was a slave. Uh, right. And he did not come here by, by choice, which, again, leads to that conversation about the Holocaust versus slavery and uh, understanding that we like to pride ourselves. Well, there's certainly uh, anti-Semitism rooted in this country. We pride ourselves on George Washington, uh, right, uh, giving giving this uh, writing this letter to the Toro Synagogue in Rhode Island about that anti-Semitism has no place in the, the founding of our country and, and the establishment of America. Well, right. well, racism uh, is very much woven into the fabric of, of the, the establishment of our nation. In, including including of George Washington's biography, right? So right. He's, he's, he's simultaneously saying the government of the United States gives to bigotry, no sanction, to persecution, no assistance, and also and owning owns slaves. slaves. Right. Yeah. And this is... This is the sort of nuance that 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 we often um, leave out of our our narratives about history. I mean, in in Virginia, um, through um, working with the curriculum, um, the Yunkin administration attempted to make immigrants out of America's indigenous people, the Native Americans. Um, I recall Ben Carson describing enslaved Africans as basically just another group of immigrants. So yeah, the reframing of, of those groups and mm. and those groups, those two groups I just mentioned, um, I think stand out in that a they they're not your immigrants, um, but they are also a reminder um, that America is not innocent, and I think. That has resulted in that that has a consequences in the way they have been treated and subjugated. Um, you know, you cannot promote the myth of American exceptionalism and, and, and innocence if you have a history of enslaving your black people and 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 subjugating and, and engaging in genocide against the people who were here before you. So I think it's no it's no accident that. Um, Native Americans and Black Americans um, are have been in the position they've been in, um, and then we have the, the the question of 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 Hispanic Americans and how the 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 Spanish history in America in, in some ways predates <laughs> the English history here. Sure. Um, we like to promote the narrative of how hardworking. Uh, Hispanics are, but now there's this big border debate where we don't want to let any more in. And, you know, despite the need to fill jobs and to drive the economy. And so it just, it gets very complicated. And, and Hispanics, some Hispanics are some among the most outspoken in wanting to close the border. So it's a very complicated conversation that kind of requires a lot of dredging to get to the bottom of. Right? You, you so, know, Michael, you know, Paul, you talked about that there's no nuance uh, often when we talk about these parts of history. I think that that's the main criticism 
of that you started out of this movie, right? That it sort of lacked nuance. Uh, and maybe we shouldn't expect nuance from a, a stupid comedy, right? Right from yeah. uh, an yeah. hour and a half uh, that drops on Netflix doesn't even get any a- history from a comedy on Netflix. You've got problems. Well, that's that, that's I think a good point. It should be a conversation starter, and then yeah. go over to our podcast and listen for a more in depth conversation with you. Uh, but certainly, if you're looking for for nuance and comedy, that's the problem. Yeah. Yep. Right. There, there's, I think you're to your to your point, Michael Paul. There's there's a tendency, you know, that that we have, you know, a lot of us have uh, who who uh, live in this country. Um, you know, there's there's that like myth of American innocence, um, and and that leads us to kind of think of uh, you know this this country is sort of a a, a blank canvas, right? And um, and you can just you know sort of like do anything you want if you if you put your mind to it. That was present in in the movie too. Whereas like, you know, Jews have worked hard for the, the implication of that, of course, which is not stated explicitly in the movie, is that, you know, if the, if, if African-Americans just worked harder, uh, then they would be able to accomplish all the success that, that Jews have accomplished, which is, of course, um, not true. And I think that one of the things that is, you know, pres- a through line in, in the history of the country um, is, uh, is, is, you know, first of all, um, that, you know, historically... We are, even though we like this myth, like we're not a nation of immigrants. Um, uh, we're, we're a nation primarily of, of settler colonial, colonialists uh, uh, and, and enslavers uh, who periodically allow immigration um, and, and welcome immigrants. Uh, and that's, you know, and, and uh, uh, so uh, that, you know, you're not going to get the history in, in, a, in a Netflix movie. Um, but I think that uh, you know, teasing some of that out, I think, would have been uh, really meaningful and then you know and also in the in the course of that really i think important scene of that dinner conversation uh where we're doing a hill uh calls uh lewis farrakhan uh one of the, the goats. goat <laughs> um, that, that, that was also quite quite cringeworthy for the that Jewish would community. never happen <laughs> there's, there's no there's no explicit there's no exploration of the appeal that someone like minister farrakhan has in the african-american community that i think that jews have difficulty understanding Yeah, Um, it's in part of me was wishing, well, couldn't they have found um, a a Muslim who wasn't um, nation, an Orthodox Muslim Mm -hmm. rather than a nation of Islam Muslim to 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 be in that role. But I think they did that intentionally because um, Louis Farrakhan is such a trigger point. So, uh, you know, would it have been different? Um, that much different if he hadn't been uh, a Farrakhan Muslim. And it, I mean, just, you know, it, it, it probably plays, it plays broader to have him being an, in, in, you know, inherent of Farrakhan, but, but would it have been more nuanced if he hadn't? Yeah. It, you know, calls to mind. I mean, that that scene. I think it, it, it could have been, or or you know, probably wasn't go, ever going to be, but an, a, an opportunity to to think about you know that idea that you know we can we can disagree with one another and you know and still be in relationship unless yeah. what we disagree about is your denial of my basic humanity, right? So so like in that in that dinner scene, you know, what would it have looked like for? Uh, I don't know for 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 David Duchovny's character, Julia Louis Dreyfus's character, saying like like you know we can we can be family together, um, but 
like you need to know uh, um, that uh, that to you know be to celebrate somebody who uh, is so virulently an, uh, anti-Semitic um, is is a deal breaker for me to be in relationship yeah. with you. Um, and what would that have have looked like? Uh, you know, one of the challenges of the of the you know broadness of the comedy uh, uh, is that the message that they were trying to get to, I think, um, which is that we should not see each other. Um, you know, uh, purely as manifestations of our difference, right? That like that Amira is not a black person uh, who happens to be uh, Jonah Hill's, uh, uh, Ezra's girlfriend or fiance, right? She is a, a person who is Ezra's fiance who right. also happens to be black. And that's a that, That's what she identity. says, at, right? At the, at the really climax of the film, that's, she calls out Julia Louis-Dreyfus for exactly that. Right. Only seeing me as a black woman, not as a woman who is talented uh, in, you know, all, all these different realms, including, you know, my, my trying to make it in my uh, uh, career. Um, but you only can see me as a black woman. Yeah, it's it's complicated. That's a problem. What she described, what you just described as a problem, if you only see me as black. When you tell me you don't see color, that's a, as big a problem or worse. <laughs> right. Because to say you're colorblind <laughs> is ignorant. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wonder, uh, Mike, you, um, the last thing I want to bring up, you mentioned two things. One, that this movie totally ignores uh, that right, the, the 10% of this country of the Jewish community that are Jews of color um, and, and how uh, Jews of color are, are often uh, uh, feel like they don't belong in, in either, right, of, of these uh, stereotypes, right? They're not a Jewish stereotype, or they feel excluded often uh, with, within mm -hmm. um, the, the uh, African American culture. Um, certainly, when when you have people like uh, Louis Farrakhan making anti-Semitic uh, tropes and, and statements uh, when when they have cast their lot with the Jewish people. You also talk about the need for to be together um, in, in fellowship. Uh, what I find our biggest challenge as community and communal institutions is I, I think we like to make the, these big uh, grand gestures at, at certain uh, moments, right? Ha having uh, my, my friend who's a black pastor speak on, on MLK Day or something like that at the synagogue, uh, when in reality, challenging our communities to say, uh, what is our synagogue doing to, to really build relationship with the local mosque and the imam there? What is our synagogue doing if we talk about right, the Muslim-Jewish dynamic of this film? What is our synagogue doing to build relationship with the local AME church uh, and, and build fellowship there? What are you doing right, are, are, to, to build relationship with, with people uh, who are different than you are so that you don't just see them as stereotypes, as the movie says, as quote-unquote you people, and so that equally they don't see you as a, a Jewish stereotype in return? I think that is the biggest challenge um, that even as cringy as it was, this movie is calling out. Uh, we see others as stereotypes when we are not in relation with them. Uh, the success of younger generations is that they don't see those differences. It's not that they don't see color, right? Because I agree with you, Michael Paul, that, that's BS, right? Uh, but that it's that we don't let each other's differences be a barrier for friendship or for a romantic relationship 
for collegiality. Uh, and if communal institutions could do the same, the world would be much better off. Yeah. Um, I think it should be the duty, the obligation of every faith to tell its adherents to build relationships outside that faith. Um, you know, even as our government, it seems, pits one faith against the other, and 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 as I watch, the high court seems to establish an unofficial um, evangelical Christian faith above all in in, in the way it interprets laws. Um, yeah, but also, I did not know before this podcast that ten percent of Jews were of color. Wouldn't that make an interesting movie? It's not gonna. It's not gonna be a um, a Hollywood blockbuster. Um, it's not gonna be you know for yucks. Um, it, it probably would be independent film, but that's a movie I would want to see. Hmm. Yeah. So maybe I was gonna ask you as a as a final question, uh, Michael Paul. What what would you like to see in uh, in uh, the inevitable sequel to you people? Oh, I hope it's not inevitable. <laughs> oh, like what, what happens yeah. with, with Meet the Parents too, right? Um, it's uh, Meet the Fockers. Meet the Fockers. Uh, that right, and eventually there are kids right involved. Yeah, well, just you know, and and that's another. I mean, we are becoming a nation of interracial and interfaith children. Um. How do they see the world? Um, you know, and what I just said is frankly terrifying to older generations. I think a lot of the, the pushback, a lot of the backlash that we see in America today is with the idea that our children don't fit our paradigm. You know, don't fit the old white supremacist paradigm. How do we respond to that? So, you know, I, yeah, I would watch a sequel and, and, and see how the children of that couple navigate the world and what they think. Well, you can all let us know uh, if you're willing to watch a sequel, <laughs> let us know if you are even willing to uh, watch this movie um, and, and if your reviews are any better than those of Rotten Tomato. Uh, if you don't like it, don't add us. We're just here for the, the conversation, but certainly let us know your thoughts. Um, and, and Michael Paul, we're so grateful um, to, uh, to you uh, for sharing your thoughts with us. Uh, let our listeners know where they could uh, uh, hear your podcast and, and read more of what you're writing. Yeah, my columns run um, in print on Wednesdays and on Saturday or Sunday in the Times-Dispatch. You can always catch them online. Just um, Google Michael Paul Williams and Times-Dispatch and you'll 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 get there. Um, I, we, I do a podcast on the Times-Dispatch with Kelly Lemon called After the Monuments, which is just what it sounds like. What's next now that we've taken down Confederate monuments in Richmond and in America? Um, where do we go on issues of injustice and addressing those? And um, we there's also the Memory Wars podcast that I do with um, Mallory No Pain. Um, uh, and you can find that on, um, it's running on various NPR stations as we speak. Um, Radio IQ here in Richmond. Um, and um, I understand it's been running on the national network also. So, um, and you can find it on Apple Podcast, um, wherever podcasts are found. Just, just, just look for Memory Wars. 
Um, I think you will be glad you did. As you're as you're smashing that subscribe button for Pop Torah, smash that subscribe button for Memory Wars and uh, for uh, After the Monuments. And you can, uh, as always, follow us uh, on on Twitter. I'm at JM Olitsky. Mike is at Rabbi Knopf. Uh, before we close out, once again, want to thank uh, Michael Paul for joining us for this conversation. And maybe we'll close uh, with uh, something that Michael Paul wrote that I think is uh, pertinent to this conversation. So in his column, Black and Jewish Americans have a vested interest in fighting racism and anti-Semitism. Uh, Michael Paul concludes uh, by saying... Uh, that uh, ultimately the best way to deal with anti-Semitism is to diminish the conditions in which it festers. It will take a more just society to abate the hate. Um, I think that that's a, a great uh, vision and, and prayer for us to end on that what we're ultimately looking to do together is uh, dismantle white supremacy uh, and to uh, build a more just society where we all can flourish. Amen to that. All right. Thank you Take all care. for having me. Um, Jesse. When you're in Richmond, Mama J's. All right. I'll take you up on that for sure. Until next time, I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. Take care, I'm everyone. Excited. Let's do it. <laughs>